0: Hi, I'm Simone W. Darnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional, new to the United States, and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Hello, listeners, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America, where we amplify and humanize the experience of immigrants in the United States. We are available on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you do not miss an episode. Today we have for you Elika Datsington Foley, who is a Visions new executive director as of March 2nd, 2020. She's joining visions following years of work as a director in the nonprofits and higher education, years teaching as a professor of peace and conflict studies, and a decade of work in, in, in development and humanitarian contexts in Africa, the Middle East, and Central Asia. Most of her work abroad included access to education and child protection, as well as, well as juvenile justice, restorative practices, and psychosocial programming all over the world while her original plan was to travel the world fighting injustice she's looking forward to growing her roots in boston and focusing on visions diversity equity and inclusion work she is persian american was accidentally locked out of iran because of the revolution discovered unconditional love in her dogs rebelled against her parents by getting a law degree instead of becoming a doctor and takes Taco Tuesday religiously. She lives in the South Shore with her partner, Sean, and their dogs, Server and Oreo. Welcome, Elika, it's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, it's our pleasure. So how's it going? And um, do you care to add any additional uh, supplement to your buyer about what's going on with you at the moment? Not too much more.
1: I think the things I would, I would want to share with all of you will come out probably more naturally when we chat right now.
0: Okay, very good. Um, So what is your heritage? As you mentioned before in your bio, you're from, uh, you're Persian American. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family and the story of what brought you to the United States?
1: Sure. Um, So as mentioned, I was born in Iran, I was born in Tehran, and I was born in 1979. So right during the Iranian Revolution. Um, My parents are both from Iran. My mother's family, her father was in the military and actually had really close relations with the U.S., and had moved out to the US even, I believe, in the 1950s or so. So there was a relationship there. I mean he went back and forth to Iran, but there was a definite relationship with the US um, for, for many decades, which actually in turn led my mother to come get her her second doctorate um, at the University of Michigan in public health. So my mother had some connections to the US. She moved back and she'd always planned on moving back to Iran after she got her doctorate, you know, wanting to, to apply what she was learning to, to her own country, where she met my father and they had me. And my father was a physician. He had his own clinic at the time. And my mom was really working both with the, kind of the federal government, working in public health and epidemiology, and she was also a professor. So after I was born, the summer after I was born, um, my family, my parents and I'm, were visiting some family in Paris in France. My dad's family had, had done some of their work um, and relocated in France. So we were visiting family when uh, the, uh, the revolution started to become a little bit more serious and they closed the borders. So while we were kind of locked out of going back to Iran, my mother took the opportunity and said, you know, I have this. I have this visa from my family working you know living in the U.S. and from her having gone to school in the U.S. so she figured she'll take the time since it was summer vacation for her and and visit family for a little while thinking you know this will blow over any minute you know maybe a couple months and it's fine. My dad in the meanwhile decided he needed to sneak back into the country and and figure out how things were going. He had his clinic like I said there and um In doing so, you know, those few weeks we thought, or maybe even months we thought we would be out of the country, I've never been back. So in the few years of my first few years of my life, you know, we visited family and kind of stayed in Oklahoma. And then we lived in Northern California. And then my father finally met up with us. We were separated for almost a year. Um, He met up with us in Northern California and then we moved back to France. And then, you know, I think we were there for about a year and a half and finally moved back to the U.S. permanently um, when I was about four or five and have been here since. Um, You know, it's it's interesting because education is such a theme that runs through a lot of the story for me in terms of my mother's education in the U.S., Um, my parents both believing so strongly in education and i think when they realized that the and then you know later after the revolution was really there were so many things that were happening in the country um in the iran iraq war i think my parents realized that things were not necessarily going to get any better for a while and they did want at the time just me to have the best possible you know peaceful life that I could possibly have and and have a good education and that was something that was always really instilled in me my father's father was a principal um and so he was in education and my mother's grandfather actually started the first school for girls in the country in iran and was later killed for doing so
0: um wow wow so I think
1: there's this you know part of my dna that has carried Carried those ancestors with me um, in terms of the significance of, of getting an education and continuously learning and um, wanting to give back to what they've given to us as well. So that's part of just the arrival, I think, part of the experience. Um, and it's interesting.
0: Go ahead, go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting as people often say, you know, are, is English your first language? And I say, well, actually English was technically my third language. You know, I, I spoke Farsi with my family. Well, I spoke, I heard Farsi um, right off, you know, when, since I was born and then breaking my language open in France. France French was probably my first language. I would say I started speaking Farsi second and then English. And, I don't remember a word of French anymore. So, you know, and people always say, you'll learn it again if you just tried. And I just, I've never been able to. Um, and I think there's, there's something to be said about also having English as a second or third or, or whatnot language in terms of how you process and how you think. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's something interesting to, to reflect on as well.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that. My goodness, uh, you have quite a bit of um, trailblazers in your past. And um, I I understand the whole um, within your background about social justice and and so forth. So I I get that. Um, So what was life like growing up here in the United States? Um, You know, it sounds like from a previous conversation, that's all you know right because you don't have very much memory of your parents um your life back in iran what was it like being here in the united states and you know learning english building rapport and relationships and so forth in your early years
1: yeah that's a great question and you're right you know i i
0: people often say
1: well what was life like in iran at that time and i have to often say i i don't know i've you know i've never been back um i think before answering your question, kind of of explain the why I've never been back. I think a part of me always envisioned this this country and this culture that my parents tell stories about and they reminisce and they have these most beautiful memories. And I know that if I were to go back today, that's not the same country I would see. And I think for a long time, I was really hopeful thinking, you know, things will change and I'll be able to, to go back and see this place that they they've romanticized and you know in my memory in my mind and um I just haven't been able to so I think I've been hesitant for a lot of reasons and now I'm at at an age you know in my 40s and I think okay I need to start thinking about really being able to to go back and and see where I come from and where my roots are Um, It's actually a quote do you mind if I read this quote to you I just ran across it the other day and I thought I was going go wondering. ahead
0: please indulge us please okay so I might
1: mispronounce them, and I apologize but walimu Bomani Bomani Baruti um, said a people must know their origins and practice their traditions in order to be themselves if not they lose themselves in another vision of reality and if that reality is the creation of their enemy then they fall deeply asleep in someone else's nightmare." And that really resonated with me. And as you asked the question about what my experience was growing up, I think that's a realization of, you know, I've, I've known my roots and my origins through others. I've never gotten to, you know, step since I was five months old, I've never been able to step foot in this country where I'm from. Um, and, you know, I'm so grateful that my family and my extended family and extended friends, you know, friend family group has kept our traditions alive and our rituals and if not for them and if not for those experiences I would probably even be more lost in a lot of ways um, than I am now um, but to kind of answer your question about those experiences growing up I mean I think it's really related in terms of feeling like this third culture kid um, not being obviously 100% American, whatever that means, and not feeling 100% Persian. I mean, again, culturally, I've been lucky to have a lot of our traditions passed on to me. Um, But you know, I'm often reminded here in the US that I'm not American, And in the Persian community, you know, whether it's my not so great Farsi, I think it's great, (laughs) but oftentimes I'm told, you know, I don't sound maybe sophisticated enough. Um, I actually taught myself to read and write Arabic when I was working and living in Lebanon, and that was translated into my kind of piecing together letters in Farsi, but I was never formally taught Farsi being so young leaving the country. And so I think looking at me or definitely by looking at my name, you know, I often got the, where are you from? And I never really knew what that meant. Um, Or, you know, people would look at my name or again, look at me and and think they're being really sweet and saying something like, oh, you know, you look so exotic or your name sounds so exotic. So... um, I got a lot of you know those kinder type of questions growing up and then definitely, and I'd say especially after 9-11, I got a lot more of the you know, more negative that I can remember. And to be fair, when I was really little, I'm sure there were comments about the, the hostage crisis or Iran Contra. And I'm sure there was a lot of these historical and political significant, significant events um, that I was maybe too young to really take on. But from 9-11 on, that's when I really remember more of the, the racist um, and xenophobic comments and slurs being made. You know, and it's interesting because on paper, often we've been told as Persians, we're supposed to, to say that we're white. You know, in a census, we're not, you know, Hispanic, Latino, we're not black, we're not Asian. You know, so it's in either, either you put other, which, doesn't always feel good because you don't feel like you want to be reminded that you're an other. Um, you also don't feel white. And growing up, I know my parents would say, well, you know, you're, we're Aryan. And I, I always felt like, what does that even mean? You know, if I was to have (laughs) like a Klansman come after me, am I going to pull out this card and say, wait, no, I'm a Marian, you know, let let me free. Do I even want to have that be a privilege that I have? Um, you know what is that really going to mean for for anyone who um, doesn't understand those significances of what they're saying? So just acknowledging that social construct of you know we're supposed to say Middle Eastern maybe, but what does that even mean? Where is the Middle East? You know, it's interesting when you even look at a map and you you look at where where things are and you say, well, who decided where Asia started and where Europe ended and you know vice versa? So it's you know, race and ethnicity has been something that is a constant reminder um, in my life. And again, whether the reminder was that I look different, I my name sounds different. Um, but I think those lived experiences, those differences are important to keep in mind. And as much as I love seeing things that are remind me of how similar we all are, I think it's important to, to hold on to, you know, we did have we all do have our differences um, and our diverse lived experiences. So- uh, right,
0: right, Awesome, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Can you give us a sense for what, um, for someone who does not know the Persian culture, give us a sense for how your parents created that cultural tradition, what the, what's the food like? Um, music and things like that you mentioned Aryan I've heard of the uh, the term Aryan nation but I don't quite get what that means can you speak to that about you know the people and culture food and 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 so forth
1: so I'll have to say straight out the Aryan nation thing I think is intended to be something very different (laughs)
0: than Mm, okay the
1: roots of you know having Aryan roots whatever that means in art in this respect Um, in terms of our, I mean, I love our food. (laughs) I am such a foodie and, um, you know, I think oftentimes people think of Persian food and they think of like kebabs and I'm personally vegetarian, if not vegan. And so I never really grew up with that experience. My poor parents had to always shift, you know, what they were making for me as I was growing up to not include meat. But our food is really very similar to Indian food in terms of like a rice and a stew and, Um, A lot of love is put into it. You can taste the love in every bite. And often it's, you know, Persian culture from what I've learned, you know, again, through my family and people around me, there is this grace, this graciousness to giving. And so if you go to a Persian family's house, you're never going to just get a small plate of food. Even if they have nothing, they will bring everything to the table. Um, and they want to look like there's an abundance and give you everything they have. So oftentimes our food is really beautiful um, aesthetically. And it's really this, this part of like this dance that you play with, with your guests. Um, and there's a whole, you know, a whole thing to that. There's something called tarof where... You know, someone's gonna say, please have this. I mean, it could be a shirt off their back <laughs> and you're supposed to say, no, no, no. And they're supposed to say, yes, yes, yes. And there's definitely this dance. You see it oftentimes if you're at a restaurant with Persians and they're trying to fight for the bill. And there's a lot of that that back and forth dance. Um, so that's a lot of who our our culture is. And I think having even said what I just said about the food and that that tarov culture, family and community is everything. Um, and that is something that has definitely been passed on to me. Um, for my family, it's we're very relational, like transactional things just don't really make sense. I mean, it's really building that relationship with the people around you. Um, and so I think those are types of values and parts of my my culture that I very much have carried with me um, and are huge pieces of who I am um today music honestly I can't say too much about it I mean my parents didn't really listen to a lot of the, the music um, I mean you did a parties and things like that and I you know there's I was always really painfully shy um growing up so I would go hide in a bedroom <laughs> if there was a party and people started dancing <laughs> but it is a part of our culture just not necessarily something that was passed on to me um, but it's very often jovial. It's very often, um, I mean, just beautiful instrumental and, um, yeah, just really lively and jovial. I would say for the most part is how I, I think of it, um, overall. And the language it's Farsi. I mean, of course, there are so many different ethnicities within Iran and so many different religions and so forth. Um, but you know, the national language is Farsi and, um, most everyone,
0: I would say, who lives there at least speaks, speaks Farsi. Okay, wonderful. The the, the thing that comes to mind is, um, and please correct me if I'm wrong, this whole thing about belly dancing, is that yeah. associated out of Iran? Or is it just in the region? Like, where, where does that come?
1: That's a great question. I would say it's probably more regional. I can't think, I don't, again, I've never been there to say, see, Um, I, in general, I would say that Persians are more modest, and I, Mm. that's not a good or bad or, you know, positive, negative value associated with it, so maybe similar type of dancing, Um, and I've never seen anyone necessarily dance like that, but I also want to say that there are so many regions within Iran, and there's so many like I said, subcultures within Iran that I am sure there is something very similar to the belly dancing that you're envisioning in one of these cultures, um, you know, subcultures. So it wouldn't be surprising.
0: Right, right, okay, all right. I can hear the music in my head now and I've always kind of thought of it as that side, but yes, thanks for the explanation. as you grew up, you know, how does, how did, you know, your world started coming together? Like, what was your American dream? Did you have one? You mentioned that you rebelled against your parents wanting you to be a doctor. How did that all come about for you to go in the the legal side of things?
1: Yeah, so that's funny. Um, And I'd say I'm a rebel in that way, because I literally did nothing. I was always such a good kid, great, great. I mean, not say you have to have great grades to have to be a good kid by any means, but literally everything my parents had to do, I did. Um, and so this is the one place that I, I stepped away from the norm a little bit. I found out um, some at some point growing up that my last name, Doxiton meant prosecutor. And I thought, okay, well, that's a great excuse to, <laughs> to not go into medicine. And um, in <laughs> high school, again, even though I was always pretty shy, I was on the debate team and everyone said, if you're on the speech and debate team, that means generally people go into law. And the other thing is, I mean, I mentioned being shy so often now, but I always, so I was painfully shy when it came to standing up for myself. When it came to something I had to speak up because it benefited me. I would have a really, really hard time with it. However, I was always much more comfortable using my voice for others who may not have been able to use theirs, um, you know, systematically or whatnot, culturally, whatever the, the various levels um, of oppression may have existed, I was able to speak up when I saw an injustice toward others. Um, and I think in the process, and as I grew up, I found that voice for myself, but that is really a recent <laughs> finding. Um, but so I think about the American dream. I really think that, that that was part of the process was I have always been, you know, I was, I was a vegetarian at a very young age. I, you know, supported communities that I thought needed support. And again, this is a very naive and innocent viewpoint possibly. Um, But that was the track I was in. So when I went into law, I thought, you know, again, if I did something wrong, I got punished. So I never saw the the complexity behind the criminal punishment system the way I see it now. Um, And so I thought, well, you're going to get the bad guys off the street. And just was way too naive and innocent to understand what does a quote unquote bad guy even mean? know, I didn't know the the systemic issues that existed. That was my privilege. Um, And so soon after I I got into law, I realized, and I was working in narcotics, for example, very much saw um, the racial inequities that existed. And so pivoted quickly out of that and moved into education. And that's a whole other, you know, whole other conversation. Um, But I really did not have a straight, clear path to where I am today. Um, The only theme I can say truly has been with me throughout everything has been this this social justice lens. I will actually also say in terms of like having immigrant parents as well and being the elder and being a daughter, um, culturally anyway, a lot of those social assets I think other families around me may have had, you you know, or parents who my parents definitely valued education and there was no choice of ours that we wouldn't go into some kind of formal education. But we also didn't have this informed community around us in terms of you know, the, the tips and tricks, if you will, about how to get into higher ed or you know, how to be financially stable, those types of conversations. You know, my parents had to figure it out along the way. They were doctors in, in Iran and they had, my dad, I remember him having to relicense in the US and that took a while. So there was a lot of those types of things that I didn't, I didn't necessarily, ne- you know, naturally get, whereas my younger brother had me before him to navigate the, that process and kind of teach him how to do it. So a lot of it was just, you know, trial and error, what worked and didn't work and, you know, pivoting and trying again.
0: Right, right, right. Okay, okay. Um, I can relate. I'm I'm the oldest daughter too and so I get that. I I, I bruise myself. I, I am the one who trip and yep. and then you know and then I see my younger siblings, you know, just living free in freedom and making mistakes and as well. For me, I never thought that I could make huge mistakes because then it would have such of a bigger impact or I felt like I needed to be the example and some parts of me feel like man I wish I was the youngest one so I could just you know? kind of have this freedom to just live so freely like they do just do whatever they want but for me it was always a bigger picture know, yes, so I got absolutely. Mm-hmm. um are there any opportunities that came along um you know to kind of help you sort through this complexity of you know um law and now uh, education and uh you mentioned protection field um as as your career went along
1: I mean I think the opportunity was truly just the foundation I had it was parents who believed in me um who instilled similar values in me you know they again they valued education so when I went into education they were happy um even though they would never have told me to go into education as a as a young person, it was again my only options were doctor, lawyer, engineer. I think what helped me kind of have that that journey that's maybe not as traditional was being an immigrant and being an immigrant. And you know, me specifically, I can't speak for everybody. I learned to be really adaptable. So being able to pivot industries wasn't so scary being able to pivot and move to a different country as an adult for different work you know country I'd never been to or didn't speak the language didn't know anybody wasn't so scary because I knew I've done it before so many times um, and I think it I didn't realize that this was one of my strengths at the time that I was doing it it just didn't feel as paralyzing as I think it can for a lot of people who've not had to be as adaptable um for whatever their their lived experiences are Um, and I was comfortable being different you know again I've always been different so there have been experiences that really resonated and really reminded me that I am never quote-unquote gonna fit in Um, but otherwise I've been pretty comfortable, you know, acknowledging at the very least that this is, this is my reality. And so um, I think that's allowed the the path that you're speaking of, you know, those opportunities to come and me not be scared by them and be able to
0: take them. Right. I wonder uh, if you could talk, uh, give us a a little bit more of, your experience of just feeling like you were different. How did that play out? Like when you were in high school, in college, I'm trying to get a sense of how. what was that experience like? Was it your last name that your friends just knew that made you different? Or did you sound a different way when you speak? Mm. Uh, Because I guess for me, I'm looking at you and I, for me, I'm thinking, oh, you would just fit right in. (laughs) But that's different for you. That was different for you
1: yeah it was. and you know it's yes, my name definitely. Um, and I think it depends on where in the country. I think there's so many regional differences as well. And even in a place I again, I grew up all over the place, but in high school I was in, in Los Angeles and as much as people think Southern California or California in general, or you know specifically LA when I was like I was in high school was very diverse. there's still very segregated communities within those faces. Um, and so no, I'm not, I don't, you know, I don't present black and that's, you know, clear. Maybe I don't present very clearly a certain culture where you can say, oh, that person is X, Y, Z. Um, but people knew I did not come, you know, my, my ancestors didn't come out over on the Mayflower (laughs) either. And so there was always a, where are you from? I mean, there was, there was never questioned that I was a white American. Um, I definitely am more white presenting than others in a lot of ways. And there were definitely some privileges that have come along with that. I might not have gotten followed in the grocery store, but I was always stopped at the airports. Um, so those types of things. I mean, no, in, in high school, I went to a private Catholic school. I'd always been in public school up until, up until high school. And it was the first time that I can remember, and again, not that this is true, but my memory, that it was pretty monocultural. Um, it was generally pretty white. It was a Catholic school, so majority, I won't say everyone, for, and I know for certain it wasn't everybody, but it was Catholic. Um, and you know, people had their little subgroups. And I'd say a lot of the subgroups included cultural subgroups that stuck together. And I don't think, I can't remember any other Persians off the top of my head. I mean, maybe there was like one or two others. And it's not like I grew up with Persians to think, to, to find each other and, you know, connect. And I was always, I always kind of consider myself a little bit of a butterfly. I, you know, I, I got along with everyone and could float between people. And it was, again, it was a smaller school. So there wasn't too much animosity between people of any sort anyway. Like, did not fit into, you know, the Latino group or the, the, the few black kids we might've had or the few Asian kids we might've had. Um, and so there's just a reminder. Okay. yeah. The other ways I think it plays out as a reminder, and again, this isn't necessarily as a child, you know, so there's two things that come up for me right now. One being when I both when I was in Paris in preschool and when I moved back to the states in St. Louis my best friend was a, um, a black boy. And I actually was thinking about this somewhat recently. And I wonder if somehow, and I'm sure at the time when I was that young, language was an issue for me. You know, I I don't remember that now because I was so young, but I do wonder if I acknowledge somehow, you know, unintentionally or subconsciously at that age, that we were both different. And so I connected to someone else that also seem to be an outsider um, in the, the dominant culture that we were in at that moment. And uh, so that's something that stands out to me is as a, a very young age, I definitely felt that. When I was much older, you know, I'd say in the last, within the last 10 years traveling abroad with my U.S. passport. And at some point I also had this diplomatic passport. The minute you see where I'm born, there was always issue. <laughs> so I remember being detained, driving across from Canada, back to the US, um, the minute they saw where I was born. In, I mean, mind you, where I was born also, the countries I'm sure I've worked in, at that, for that one specifically, um, could be confusing because I was in humanitarian aid and there were some stamps in there that I can imagine were questionable. Um, but then even younger than that, before I was in, do, you know, doing the development of humanitarian work, my passport had a lot of European, a lot of Asian, kind of the more everyone travels to countries, and I was passing from Jordan through Israel back to Egypt, and I was detained with a gun to my back, and the questions I was being asked by the, you know, the soldier at the border were things like, you know, why were you born in Iran, and why were your parents born in Iran, why were your grandparents born in Iran, and, you know, wow. those are things where you were reminded, again, that you are from a place that is not very liked, and the sad thing is, I mean, really, the U.S. and Iran, first until I was born, I mean until the time I was born, were allies, and it was really since my birth, <laughs> time of my birth, on that there had been any issues, and so, it's a constant reminder now on the news, you know, access of evil, those types of narratives that are out there that where I'm from is not a liked place. And I think that trickles down um, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally.
0: Right. Wow. Uh, That's interesting to hear that comment about the history previous to your birth. I don't, I think for those of us in a certain generation, we, can't, we don't know of that time right. where you could see the U.S. and Iran being allies. Can you talk a little bit about that if you do know the history?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, don't,
0: I probably couldn't
1: tell it very well. I mean, I just, again, I think I speak to it to an extent through my family's experience and just, you know, at a high level. Yeah, Iran was a strategic ally for the U.S., um, and as I, I mentioned really early on, my, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was military, and he was in the U.S. training with the American soldiers, kind of both, you know, training them, what he knew, and also learning from the U.S. And that was very not strange. Um, when my mother was here, or, you know, a lot of my, my family, of her generation, were here in the U.S. studying. There was never a... A hesitancy to see somebody who is Persian and wonder, you know, what, you know, why are you here? You might be, you might be, you know, harmful to to anyone. It was this culture that everyone, oh, it's a Persian dynasty. It's an ancient culture. It's you know, it's so beautiful and so on and so forth. From what I've heard, a lot more Americans were visiting the country, you know, at that time. Um, I know there's a lot of Americans and, and people around the world who travel to Iran now, and every time I've heard a friend or somebody I know or somebody I've met along the way tell me they visited Iran, it's only these positive things about how beautiful it is and how rich the culture is, but there's this current narrative, as you just mentioned, um, that really, I think, scares people away from it, and that's really mm-hmm. sad when I hear it, and again, I can't really speak to it because I, I, I've gone caught up in it. I haven't gone back either. Um yeah, until right around 1979
0: is <laughs> when. Wow, wow, that's unfortunate. But I guess I'll have to go a little bit more into some of the historical what happened during that time. I don't know it in depth either. To speak to it either, so um, it's interesting. But workings of politics and geopolitics and and so forth. So um, you mentioned. Uh, that you went to a catholic school and a question that pops into mind is um you know because i do know of people who come from that part of the world and then end up going to like more of a christian type of education Uh, was that different for your parents or was it you know that was the only option that was available um Um, do do you know how they made the decision and how they felt about it for the Catholic school specifically? Right. Because yeah. I mean, I guess I'm thinking culturally, um I'm I assuming correctly that you probably were the culture might be Islamic or of a Muslim background, but yeah. then I guess you're in a Christian country and that's what's available to you.
1: Yeah, so there's a there's a lot within that question. Um so again, Iran being this Persian Empire for, for so long, there are so many subcultures. The, the country or the, you know, Persian culture generally in terms of its roots are really based in Zoroastrianism. Mm-hmm. And when you read about Zoroastrianism, it's a beautiful culture and it's based on, you know, on earth and, and, um, the elements and peace. And actually next week is, is Persian new year. And when you look at the roots of that holiday, it's the minute it turns spring every year, so it changes depending on, you know, time and date changes depending on when exactly it turns spring, but that's rooted in Zoroastrianism, and being such an ancient culture, we've had a lot of influences, you know, so one of the more recent influences has been Islam, Um, and I will say there are definitely Persians who are Christians, there are definitely Persians who are Jewish, there are definitely Persians who are Baha'i, and so on and so forth. So it's not strange to see that. Um, My family, my parents, I would say specifically, were definitely not religious. Um, I think part of that was their their science background, and not really seeing, they didn't feel comfortable maybe talking about religion as much as they believe in science. And my parents were activists and they saw what the Islamic revolution did to their country. Um, and as much as they were activists against the Shah at the time, because of actually the American influence, and they really wanted to have their country back to themselves. They were activists and they had no idea that, you know, the Islamic revolution was going to be the, the alternative. Um, and they often now say, I wish we'd never would have fought against this because look what happened now. Um, but culturally, I would say maybe they were, they were more, they were more Muslim. Um, but I would definitely not say that they were religiously, you know, b- believers of Islam. So I don't think yes. that was ever an issue for them to have us go to a Catholic or a Christian school. I think my brother went to like a Lutheran middle school. So I, they definitely didn't mind that part. And I think at the end of the day, they knew that we would have our critical thinking and our foundations to, to choose whatever we believed in based on our own personal experiences. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're right in terms of it is, you know, the U.S., as much as we, we are diverse, there is a very monocultural emphasis. You know, the, the dominant culture is white, is Christian, is male, you know, and so on and so forth. So I'm not sure if it was the easiest decision for them. There were definitely other options that were not religiously affiliated I could have gone to, um, and they still chose this one for me.
0: Right, right. No, it's a good perspective, I think, for our listeners to have, because I think generally people might assume just mm-hmm. making generalizations that because of that part of the world, that everybody's Muslim and very religiously Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to know that there are pe- different, um, b- different belief systems within the country and that, you know, that your parents could make such a decision. It's important for people to hear that, you know, um, because... Uh, it's not always the best thing to generalize about any group of people and to think that they're all monolithic in their own thinking Absolutely. and the way they live, right? So yes. I'm happy that you shared that. And I will admit, though, just to you know, as it's not just everyone else
1: feeling this way or thinking this way. Even for myself, there was definitely this internalized oppression that I carried with me to the point where I actually baptized Catholic as an adult. I wanted to very much shun this part of me and be very clear if anyone asked that I am no I am not Muslim even if you believe my culture is and was Um, and you know what regardless of how I feel about that today I know a huge piece of why I wanted to was because what I was carrying with me for so many years of my upbringing and all that I was hearing from the outside world and instead of really being who I am and, you know, owning it, and instead of really trying to allow for that natural acculturation of two different or various backgrounds and cultures, I was really, at that moment, trying to assimilate. I so badly wanted to shed a piece of me that I could shed. Like, I can't shed mm. my brown skin. I You know, I yes, I could legally change my name, but... That is my name. There's one piece of me and that was my spirituality, I thought that I could have control over. Um, I couldn't control my passport saying I wasn't born in Iran, for example, right? But this is something that I felt like I could, I could shift. Um, And so I just want to name that because it's not just, you know, those who might not know more about Iran or this Persian culture. It's even within our own culture, there's definitely. There's definitely colorism. There's definitely these pieces that are embedded into our personal scripts that we've carried from a young age. Um,
0: Right, right, right. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. So I know it's, I, I mean, I don't wanna make any assumptions so I'll ask you the question. Um, was anything, uh, surprising, you know, in, you know, the way you're, you were culturally being raised versus the general American, uh, culture was anything shocking or just hard to adjust as you were growing up? Um, I would
1: say, I mean, and I can't, I can only speak to my family, so I can't speak for, for all But you know. Persian families that grew up at the same time as me, there was definitely a difference between being a daughter and being a son. (laughs) And I'm sure that's for several, you know, different cultures, but that was something that my parents and I speak about it still to this day, you know, how, and, but even to this day, the things that my brother can get away with that I just knew I never could. So I didn't even try. Um, So I would say that's one thing. And then the other thing is just I think it's a more general observation about the world we live in or this you know, the country specifically right now is as much as I wish we could all acknowledge our various historical and political significances, you know, within our differences. Sometimes I think I'm really surprised that it's 2022 and there's still so much fear in differences. Mm. I think that, you you notice it sometimes when you really stop and allow for someone's reactions to not make you react, and you stop and just look at and listen to their their statements or how are they feeling, and you just can tell a lot of it is rooted in in their own fear. Um, it's not surprising. I mean, again, the the script our culture speaks to is what it is. Um, And we've all kind of caught and, you know, we've been taught that there's certain, just there are various biases since we were little. Um, So it's not surprising that you hear it, but I think at 2022, I just expected it to be
0: maybe less fearful. Um, Yeah. Right, right. Okay. Um, I know you mentioned that your grandfather was killed for starting the first, um, school for girls um do you know what happened are you able to share because i think we see that in the press but we don't really know like what what why is it such a a bad thing to educate girls <laughs> it's in that not part so of the world thing.
1: they know how powerful we are um so this was my great grandfather so this is this is a long time ago and um I mean, it's a longer story. I know that he was driven out of the country um, based on on creating this school for girls, and to be honest with you, it hasn't really been clarified how and who did it, um, mm. so I, I can't actually give you that detail because I don't know it, and I don't think any of us do. Wow. It was just very clear that he was a wanted man for for creating this and it's so interesting again because my mother is one of five and every single one of them there's three girls and um, there are two boys and all of them have their doctorates i mean so his hopes for the next generations i mean definitely came true even though um, and he's you know was able to not see it happen with his own family you know generations later but they all became doctors of some sort and, you know, passing it on to their kids, you know, his grand, his great grandchildren. A lot of us have really taken education seriously
0: in our own ways. Right. Well, and, and they all received their uh, doctorates in Iran, right? To have have that freedom to pursue. Yes. Very powerful. So my mom got her second doctorate in the U S but she she had her first doctorate in the U S they were all. Iran Educated. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. Well, I mean, this this space is giving us such a life, a light or a view into life in other spaces. And um, though there still remains a lot of questions, I thank you for sharing that. Um, so what advice would you give to new residents, new immigrants who are here trying to navigate this very complex society that we're operating is this melting pot. Um, what advice would you lend to people who are just trying to make it here?
1: Yeah. You know, I actually really like the, the image of the salad bowl. It's, you know, the melting pot being everyone kind of turns into the same thing. Um, that cheese, for example, the fondue or whatnot, whereas the salad right. bowl really allows everyone to maintain components of who they are uniquely different you know the the tomato to the salad or to the lettuce to the whatever Um, and so in that same vein I I think one of my pieces of advice would be to be you and don't try to assimilate you you see so often you know we think in the U.S. that new immigrants need to learn from us as Americans Um, and we ignore so much of the immigrant experience and their ways of of living believing and i think that's there's a part of like that american exceptionalism that we know so much here and we're better than others in other countries um and so i would hope that people can just stay true to who they are and not you know hide or lose their culture um but you know the immigrant and I, again i can't generalize every everybody There's so much resilience and I'm sure people have said that to you before and just in general, that word is used so often for, for immigrants. Um, For me, when I think about that experience, I I think, again, experiences are different, but there's so much hope for so many when they are now, you know, past that migration process and they are now in their new home community. There's a lot of hope that, that exists. There's also a lot of pain and loss. Um, and not just because you might've come from a conflict or famine or something really harsh and extreme. I mean, even, even a a person who chooses to just move from their home to a new country, there's loss, there's loss of potentially language, there's loss of your familiarities and your home and your friends. And, you know, there's just so much there. And I think, the fact that you see so many immigrants come here and create, continue to create for so many of them, this beautiful life, um, kind of despite the odds, it just really shows the resilience and their
0: strength. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. That's a great bookend to our conversation. I enjoyed the journey with you. I hope you do make it back to Iran at some point. I know you've been to the region, but just haven't made it to the country specifically, but I hope the right time presents itself and um, the right opportunity and that you'll be safe and that you'll get to go back and experience and see the richness of you know, where, you're, where you're from, where your roots are from and, and be able to have a powerful connection. Thank you, I hope the same.
1: I hope the same for myself and for everyone. To be able to do
0: that yes absolutely some people i mean you know with the natural disaster or conflict or so many reasons some people might not be able to go back because that's another you talk about loss sometimes mm-hmm. there is nothing to go back to right and so yes. um we, we acknowledge that but for those who have a place to go back uh, we hope that We'll all be able to go back and uh, because it, it's part of the fabric of who we are and knowing your past and or the history of who you are makes you um, just, I don't know, it makes you more, it makes you human. It makes you um, uh, more empowered to continue to live and add to this uh, colorful nation of ours. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much for your time, Alika. Um, Thank you for sharing with us and our listeners about your experience being a Persian American and um, what life is like in Iran and about your culture. We've enjoyed the time with you. I've enjoyed this time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America Join us next week for another riveting story. The Persian New Year is actually beginning at 11 a.m. on March 20th. Happy Persian New Year to you, Alika. It's been our pleasure telling your story here on The Immigrant Experience in America. Thank you again. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family and circle of influence.